Blessed be the God of justice, peace, and mercy. Amen. Apparently the day of vengeance that uh, is mentioned in Isaiah was visited upon our amplifier just moments ago. So um, I think our sound system's dead, so I'll do my best to project. I have a dear friend named Mike Kinman who is the dean of the cathedral in St. Louis, Missouri. And some of you have probably heard me talk about him primarily because of the uh, bets he and I have had between our congregations over the Giants and the Cardinals. This past year, Mike has been very active as a clergy peacekeeper uh, during the protests in Ferguson, Missouri, and Shaw, and St. Louis, and often uh, wears a vest that says clergy, and he and other clergy stand as a barrier between protesters and the police to try and keep the peace on both sides, to try and stop aggression from both sides. And he opened up his cathedral as a place of sanctuary for 24 hours after the grand jury decision was made in the case about Michael Brown. And after that vigil, he issued a challenge to all the cathedrals in the Episcopal Church and to as many clergy and parishes as would participate to devote one Sunday in Advent to preach about and hold a forum or discussion about the topic of Black Lives Matter and to address all the issues related to the protests and the myriad black voices who have said they experience a society in which their lives are valued less than white lives. And so that is what we are doing today at St. John's. And I noted with interest yesterday that apparently the two largest Pentecostal denominations in our country, one predominantly white and the other predominantly black, issued a joint statement by their leadership calling on all of their churches to observe today as Black Lives Matter Sunday. The membership of those two churches combined is over 9 million people, which dwarfs the Episcopal Church. The presiding bishop, our presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church, issued a statement saying, the racism in this nation is part of our foundation and is not not unique to one city or state or part of the country. All Americans live with the consequences of centuries of slavery, exploitation, and prejudice. That legacy continues to lead individuals to perceive threat from those who are seen as other. The color of one's skin is often the most visible representation of what divides God's children one from another. 
I accepted my friend Mike's preaching challenge for St. John's because I believe it is important for an almost entirely white congregation in a very white county to have this conversation. I agreed to Mike's preaching challenge because addressing racism and striving for justice is how we can live out Jesus' commandment to love our neighbor as ourselves. John, whom we commonly call John the Baptist, and the Orthodox John the Forerunner, in this gospel is actually called the witness. John the witness, we could call him. And I note uh, an almost painful irony that John is here as a witness to bear truth, testimony to the truth of who Jesus is. And there's a certain irony in John being the witness as we have lived through incredible controversy over the statements and videotapes of eyewitnesses to deaths between black people and white police. And here we are asked to hear the testimony of a witness. John preached confession and a baptism of repentance. So in that spirit, I want to address Black Lives Matter in the form of a confession. I would not say that I am overtly or intentionally racist, but I confess to habituated racism and unconscious bias within me. Both of my parents were vocally opposed to racism And still, and still, I was socialized to think differently about black people and to fear black men. I don't know how it happened, but I know it did happen. And the foundation for it was laid long before I was born. My mother is Greek. Both of her parents immigrated from Greece. She has olive skin and curly black hair. When she and my father, who grew up in Salt Lake, were engaged, my paternal grandmother and a friend hosted a shower for my mother at a club in Salt Lake City. And apparently at this shower the uh, co-host told my grandmother uh, her concern over the fact that my father was marrying someone who was half black and that they better be careful about trying to move back to Salt Lake City and raise a family. It tells you something about the climate in which I grew up in Salt Lake a long time ago in which a Greek woman with dark olive skin and curly black hair was perceived as half black. 
And it's ironic to me because I know that my mom's Greek family in Akron, Ohio was just as racist as my grandma's family in Salt Lake City. And I confess my uh, habituated racism, especially as I experienced it in a rather shamefully embarrassing way the first time I went to Malawi, Africa, with Amy and to see the work of Gaia and to visit our sister parish in Malawi. And we went into these very poor rural villages. And I was shamefully embarrassed that I was surprised at how articulate and intelligent and hardworking those people were. I didn't even know that somewhere in my conscience, I thought those people weren't as smart as someone that looked like me. And it was really embarrassing to have that revelation, but it's in there. At the same time, I was struck by the fact that I felt completely safe walking through cities in Malawi that I was completely unfamiliar with and can be somewhat terrified when I'm the only white person walking down part of Mission Street. I confess that I am rarely aware of the privilege I enjoy as a white person, especially a well-educated, well-off white male This can keep me from seeing how racism works in our society. I had a bit of an eye-opening experience about privilege when I was in seminary. I was one of three straight white men in my seminary class, out of the entire seminary class, three straight white men. I was the first person in my entire class to get a job at a church. Do you know who the next two were? The other two straight white men. One of the most important things I learned in seminary is how social context or social location as it's sometimes called, especially race, class, gender, nationality, where in the world you live, impacts how you hear and interpret Scripture. We tend to see ourselves in Scripture and identify with figures presented in the Christian narrative. We identify as part, we're players in that narrative. I want to challenge that today for those of us who are white. We are not with John the Baptist in the wilderness. We are not the oppressed, brokenhearted, or enslaved returned from exile in the reading from Isaiah 
We are the people on whose behalf John is being questioned as a threat to our authority and privilege. Complicity and indifference is the sin of the white church. The way of the Lord is not straight because of us. Recreate this gospel passage in our day. And John is a nonviolent black protester holding a Black Lives Matter sign being questioned by the police. Who are you? Why are you doing this? By what authority do you think you can do this? And let us remember that John the witness and Jesus to whom he testifies are killed by those in power to preserve the status quo. So what do we do? How do we become witnesses to the light? Isaiah offers a vision of God's desire for human community where oppression and servitude end, where all lives matter equally. Our salvation, the salvation of white people, is to make God's desire a reality. Back in August, shortly after Michael Brown was shot and his body left in the street for four and a half hours, I was involved in a conversation about race with a good friend of mine named Jennifer Baskerville Burroughs, who is a black woman and an Episcopal priest. And in that course of that conversation about how to respond to these issues and what someone like me should do, Jennifer wrote, one of my greatest fears is that one day my son, Timmy, who's about five, will grow up to be feared by my white friends. God willing, he will grow up. And God willing, my white friends will not fear him or my husband or my brother or other male relatives or any other person who looks like me just because we share the same hue. All of this, Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown, all of them, all of this is deeply personal because I need you, Chris, and all my other white friends to make it as safe for me and my family to exist as it is for your own. Can we hear the voice in the wilderness? Can we go to the wilderness and have our eyes and ears opened? Can we make the way of the Lord straight? May we who enjoy white privilege 
confess the sin of racism. And may our repentance be to live lives that affirm and proclaim black lives matter.